Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. We've got a little life here and that's about it. All right. Did you all stay up for the 27-0 comeback last night? Is that why everybody's a little tired? I did not. I went to bed at 27-0 and I said, that's enough. That's plenty. And then I woke up to find out something crazy happened. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably a lot happier than a lot of people. But Man, welcome. Welcome, Lawrenceburg Shoals. My name is Austin. I am the next-gen pastor here at Faith Church. It is my honor to be with you in week three of our series, Habits. So far this year, we've talked about fasting. We've talked about reading our Bible. And today, I want to talk about prayer. So now, most of you probably know the last 14 days, well, the last 13 days, today's day 14, we have been in our 14 days of prayer and fasting. Monday through Friday, we've been meeting at all of our locations at 6 a.m., and praying from 6 to 7 a.m. on Saturdays. We've been praying from 9 to 10. And it has been an incredible, incredible time to just press in, spend time with God. And it's been really stretching. It's been really hard fasting and doing all those things. So today is the last day. If you've been doing it with us, you've made it. And um, if you've been coming every day, or you've been tuning in online every day, you know that the last 13 days, there's been a devotional on prayer so I just thought, you know, day 14, I should also talk about prayer and figure out how to not talk about what's been talked about the last 13 days. So you'll have to test me and see if I did okay. Just imagine trying to prepare a presentation for work, except the last 13 days, someone did that exact same presentation. And so now they're like, now you do it. And I'm like, all right, what's left? No, but prayer is so amazing. And um, I just wanna talk about a little bit of my experience with prayer. Uh, when I was in middle school, I made a lot of lifelong decisions, which is not a good idea, those of you that are in middle school, but um, a few things that I set up in middle school that still carry to this day, one is my signature, like my legal signature. I came up with it in the back of Miss Tedder's class, just on a piece of paper, practicing over and over how I wanted my signature to look. Part of me thought it needed to look like an athlete's signature, and I know you're looking at me going, you shouldn't have thought that. Um, <laughs> unless I had a career in sumo, which I didn't, because I'm staying trim. But I, I came up with my autograph, my signature in sixth grade. It's the same one today. You could probably go back to those papers in sixth grade, same signature, still works, got a driver's license, house, car, you know. They, they still accept it, even if you made it in sixth grade. Another thing that I've kept since sixth grade, this is way more impressive, my password. Yeah. And they're like, you need a new password. It's like, guess what? I can just change a capital letter or add a symbol. But it's the same one I came up with in sixth grade, which partially, if you think about yourself in sixth grade, it's probably a little cringy, and it is. My first email address was jesusfreak1126, which is my birthday, at Hotmail. So that gives you an idea. I'm not super old, but I'm a little older than people who don't know what Hotmail is. Same password then that I use today on my grown-up Gmail, work email, it's all the same password. It's stuck, I've never been hacked. It's been amazing. It's probably because no one's like, what would a sixth grader think of a password for? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not gonna tell you what it is because there's no way I'd remember another password. But something else that developed in my middle school year, surprisingly enough, was a habit of prayer. When I gave my life to Jesus in sixth grade, um, I didn't really have a, a church to go to at that time. So I went to this friend's house who hosted a prayer meeting. We called it Tuesday night prayer. And every Tuesday night, 
We'd go to their house, we'd play pool and video games and eat snacks, and then we would pray for an hour. Yes, sisters can pray for an hour. And I learned during that time, kind of trial by fire, how do you pray for an hour? I was like, I don't, you know, you just start talking and praying and you're like, well, prayer's a conversation with God. It's like, well, I'm a middle schooler, I can talk forever. And so I just started talking and praying and then someone taught me about journaling and uh, I didn't pick up that habit until January 1st, 2010, but I have like 10 or 15 of, of these journals, moleskin, college ruled, this is a Pilot G2.38 pen if you wanna know the right kind of pen to get. I'll accept if you like .5, but if you get anything bigger than .5, you might as well just cut your finger open and just smear it on a page because that's what happens when you use ink more than .5. But I started journaling and I started writing down these prayers. And what really inspired me was the book of Psalms because I, I, you know, I was young and I was like, well, I know that Psalms are supposed to be prayers, so let's just read some of those. And I, and I saw the way that David and so many other people prayed in the book of Psalms and I was like, this is different than I was taught to pray as a kid growing up in church or at a Christian school. I, you know, you say, dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for my family and thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies, amen. That's how you pray. Or you say, thank you for my parents, amen. And it was always this really nice, structured, clean prayer that, you know, you recited or you, a lot of us learned the Lord's Prayer and you recite that and you just go, I guess this is how you pray. You just, you recite things. But what I read in the Psalms and what I learned in conversations with people is you don't, you don't talk to other people like that. You don't recite things to other people unless you're kind of weird. And, and so I was like, well, how is this supposed to be a relationship with God if I'm just saying the same thing every time? Or if you're one of those people that say God or Father or Lord God while you pray, that's just a, that's a whole nother tangent of like, if you, said, if you did that to a person in real life, do you know how crazy you would sound? Sarah, I just love you so much, Sarah. And Sarah, I just wanna know, like, Sarah, what are we doing, you know, Sarah for lunch, Sarah, today, Sarah? That's what it sounds like when you're like, God, thank you so much, God, for your love, God, 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 Lord, God. He knows you're talking to him, I promise. <laughs> you don't have to keep getting his attention. He's, he's, he's on board with what you're saying. You can say it one time. Secret, you don't have to say it at all. He just knows, but... So today we're gonna to look at Psalm 22. It's one of my favorite Psalms when it comes to prayer. And it's gonna seem weird that it's one of my favorite Psalms that comes to prayer. But what I learned early on in prayer and spending time with God and journaling and as I read through the Psalms and what you'll know a lot when you read through Psalms is they're not always like happy, which kind of fits my personality. I'm a little cynical. I'm a little bit like, I like to call it realistic. A lot of people call it pessimistic. I like to be like, well, everything's not good. So I can't just pretend everything's good all the time. And, and the Psalms felt like a relief to me because sometimes it's not all good. David cried out to God so often going, things kind of suck right now. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You say I'm supposed to do this, but it's not working. My life is still kind of terrible. And you know, you promised this, but it hasn't come through. What's going on? And the first thing that I think is different with prayer that we have to think about is the word honesty. It's really the first word that comes to my mind when it comes to prayer, when it comes with conversations, when it comes with relationships. A huge key 
to having a conversation with someone, to talking to someone is honesty. And so often I think we're afraid of being honest with God in prayer. We're afraid of, of seeming like we don't trust him, of seeming like we don't believe, of seeming like we don't love him, of seem, seeming like you know, we're angry at him. But we have to be honest. And I love the freedom that David shows us to be honest. So we're gonna be in Psalm 22. I wanna read a couple chunks and talk about it. I'm gonna be moving pretty fast today because at the end, we're gonna do something different and a little special and a little, hopefully a little uncomfortable. We're all going to practice praying together, okay? Lawrence Berksholes online. So be ready for that. Get, let your heart rate get up a little bit and feel a little weird about it because I kinda, I wanna have a moment today where I, I walk through this kind of different way of thinking about prayer and then I don't wanna just be like, all right, have fun with it. I wanna kind of walk you through what it looks like in my life and I'm hoping that it brings you to a moment where you can find a new strategy in prayer, a new, a new freedom in the way that you communicate with God. But we're gonna go to Psalm 22. Verses one and two start like this. This is David, he goes, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. How many people start their prayers like that? Not too many. It sounds pretty, I mean, he's accusing God of not being there for him, of going, I've, I've cried out to you all day and you don't answer. But if we're honest, how many of us have experienced that? I've experienced that. We've all experienced where we feel like, man, I, you know, I've been doing what's right. I've been, I've been praying, I've been spending time reading my Bible, but yet it feels like you're so far away. It feels like you've abandoned me. I've called day and night and you haven't answered. He goes on in verse seven and eight and he says this, everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Have you ever thought that maybe people look at your life and you're like, that's the kind of life that a Christian gets? Like everything's going wrong in their life. Everything, like they don't have it. God's supposed to take care of them. Well, then let's see God take care of them. That's how David is feeling right now. And he's being honest with God going, this is where I'm at. It feels like you've abandoned me. It feels like everyone's making fun of me because I'm supposed to trust in you. And yet you're not coming through. And, and that sounds so, so weird to go to God like that. It seems, it seems wrong. It feels, it's gotta feel a little bit wrong to think about going to God and saying those things to him. But in relationships, honesty leads to intimacy. And I'm gonna use that term intimacy a lot. And it, it doesn't mean what it normally means. It's not a sensual meaning of the word intimacy. It means closeness. It means it means a bond is formed. It means that there's something that there is a closeness. If you go through things, if you've ever been on a sports team and you've gone through those things together or you've been in competitions with people, there is an intimacy and a closeness that comes through going through those moments together. If you've ever gone on a missions trip, if you've ever done things like that, there's an intimacy with the closeness. And it comes from honesty. And each level of our relationships has different levels of honesty which means each level of relationship has a different level of intimacy. You have those people that are kind of surface. You say, hi, oh, how are things? Good. Right there, that's the first level of relationship. There's no honesty there. there you're just, you know, oh, I'm good. Good, how are you? Oh, things are good. Great, how's the family? Good, how's yours? Good. All right, that's, 
That's level one of relationship. It's friendly, it's nice, but you're not being honest. Those aren't the people that you're going, things are pretty tough right now. This isn't going well. My kid's doing this. My parents are going through this. I don't know what to do about this with my job. Like you're not just pouring your heart out to those people. And that's a very surface level. And if you think about it, often that's how we wanna go to God in prayer. Be like, God, you're just good. Thank you so much. Like, let's, let's just keep going. And sure, you have some kind of this relationship with God, but it's so surfacy, it's not intimate. And if, if you're having trouble wrapping your head around this, just think about your relationship. How many people in here are married or have been married? Yeah, that's about half the room. So my wife, Sarah, and I have been married for five years and um, we were friends for a long time. And then we dated for a little bit. We were engaged for a little bit and then we got married, okay? So those are four levels of friendship and relationship that you go through. Friendship is, hey, how are you? Good, awesome, great. Dating is, you know, there's more, we're talking more, we're texting more, we're having more. Oh, this is frustrating to me, blah, blah, blah. But I'm still not telling her everything. I'm not telling her a lot of more personal details or whatever, which is good. It's good to have those boundaries. Then we get engaged and you start, and basically, if you think about it, these are also the levels of how much you fight with a person. <laughs> because... Uh, you're like, things are great. And then you start planning a wedding together and you're like, Ooh, I want this. This is how it's going. Like, then you start getting a little bit stronger opinions. Like before that, you're like, it's whatever you want to do. Like, I don't care. And then all of a sudden you're getting married and you're like, I care a little bit. I, I, I do have some opinions that I'd like to share. And then you get married and you don't have an option, but to be honest, because that person's gonna sleep next to you and hear you snore. That person, sadly, is gonna hear you flatulate. <laughs> Which apparently every time it happens is wrong. Like the fact that my body functions like every body in the world is a problem. But we go through these levels where, and that's, a pre, that's actually a pretty good, like who do you fart in front of? That's how, that's... <laughs> That's the intimacy of your relationships right there. If, if you're on that level, there is an intimacy that most people don't want with you, I promise, okay? But uh, I'm gonna ask you guys in a little bit to be vulnerable, and so I'm gonna be vulnerable first. One of the biggest things that Sarah did not know about me before we got married that I made sure of was she didn't find this out until maybe three weeks into our marriage. Uh, I had really close, good roommates, great roommates. And then my brother lived with me for a little bit. Um, how many of you have ever been to a barber? They give you a haircut, right? They trim up your neck. Let's just say every time I get my haircut, my barber has to make a decision of where to stop. He just goes, at what point am I going to quit doing, like at what point am I going to stop just pulling the shirt down and keep, like this is never going to end. I had it done by my brother before we got married. So about three weeks in, I go to Sarah and I go, you still love me, right? She's like, yeah. I was like, here's this. She's like, what is this? I was like, these are hair clippers. She's like, what would I possibly need to do with this? I was like, well, if you look behind me, there's an unwanted guest constantly present, and I need you to take care of that. 
just, she's like, where do I, like, what do I, how much do I do? I was like, just take all of it, take it all. She's like, is this battery strong enough? And I was like, I don't know. But that's a level of intimacy that I only shared with a few people. And I even hid it from her for weeks of marriage. Cause I was like, let's make sure like legally she can't annul this before. I was like, and now it's just a part. She's like, is it time? I'm like, it's time. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very intimate thing that you don't let people in on. But when you're married, you can't hide it. There's an intimacy in your marriage that you're going, I'm gonna be completely honest with you and let you see all the bad parts of me, all the good parts of me, every part of me. And that's what honesty and prayer does. Honesty and prayer creates intimacy. If we go to God and we're not honest about how we feel and we're not honest about what we're going through and we're just trying to be like, I'm gonna be positive, I'm gonna have faith, I'm gonna be strong, I'm gonna be tough, you know, no weapon can, can conquer me, I'm, you know, God's gonna get me through. But if you're not being honest about how you're actually feeling, you're never gonna have that intimacy with God. And guess what? He already knows what you're really feeling. He already knows what you're really thinking. So you're just lying to him and he knows, you know, he knows that you're not okay. He knows that you're frustrated. And yet he wants us to be honest with him like David was going, it feels like you've left me. Like I thought I've done what I'm supposed to do and yet you're not showing up and doing what you said you would do. And you're like, oh, but God's not afraid of our honesty because he knows his own character and he knows he's gonna be faithful. So he's not intimidated by us being honest with him. He craves it. He wants us to come to him and draw close to him because that honesty that we have leads to intimacy with him. And therefore that's us drawing close to him and going, I want you to see the real me. I don't wanna hide from you. I wanna be honest. I wanna be vulnerable. I wanna be real with you. And that leads to a closeness that God can draw close to us then. Because if, if you're trying to hide stuff from people or you're keeping them at an arm's length, they can feel it. You can feel it when friends do that to you, when people do that to you. You know something's going on in their life and they say everything's good. You know it's not. And it just feels like a stiff arm. But that's what we do to God so often because we're afraid of being honest. We're afraid we'll offend him or something. And, and what David is showing us is that you don't have to be afraid of being honest with God because he can handle it. In fact, he wants you to be honest with him because when we're honest with him, it's opening ourselves up to the intimacy that he desires to have with us. And relationships require honesty to work. You know that if, you, if you're married, you know that if you have friends, you know that if you have work, coworkers, like you do have to be honest for it to work at some point. Someone has to tell that person that they're terrible at their job if you want them to do better. You know, at some point you have to tell someone, like my wife has no problem now. Like, I mean, it's assault. I've just, when I'm snoring, she used to be like, hey, you know, she's tap me, be like, hey, shake me or wake. Now it's like, boom, she doesn't even say anything. It's just an elbow flies, wakes me up. And I don't, and I'm like, and I just go back to sleep. But that's what she does now when I'm snoring. It's, it's no longer gentle and sweet. But it's that honesty of going like, if something's gonna change, I'm gonna have to be honest about how bad you are at snoring because I need it to change so I can sleep. But here's the next step. So that, that honesty thing feels a little scary, but 
Think about conversations you have. Has any, has any conversation you've ever been in been a monologue where the other person is just dumping their stuff on you and just venting to you? Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? Okay, five of us. This point's not gonna go as well as I hoped. If you didn't raise your hand, you're the dumper, okay? <laughs> you're, you're the one who's putting all your junk on other people. You're, you're the oversharer then. Um, We've all been on the side of just hearing someone vent and sometimes it's good and it's helpful and we, we can listen. But if you know somebody that's constantly, I call it like they're monologuing on you. It's just like, it's like you feel like you're in some Shakespearean play and they're like, listen to my plea. And you're like, oh goodness, I gotta, oh, tell me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nobody wants to have a monologue conversation. And so often in prayer, that's where it stops. Even with the honesty, we go, okay, God, I was honest. Thanks so much. Now I can sleep. And he's like, so you're just gonna dump all this on me and just vent to me and then you're not gonna... This is a conversation. This isn't a performance. You know, This isn't you coming up and speaking a piece and then, all right, that was all. I feel better now. Because the next step is we have to be listening. We have to listen to God uh, this is something else I'm really bad at with <laughs> listening. Um, for those of you who, I think, I think I developed this as a child because of anxiety. I learned to, I have this superpower where I can uh, read a book or watch a show or look at my phone or do anything. And I am so focused on this one thing that I can block out any sounds around me. I won't hear anything. I am so focused, I'm in the moment, I don't hear anything. And Sarah thinks that I should always, like the second I hear her voice, I should just be like, let me soak all of this in. My thoughts are no longer my thoughts, I've heard your voice from the other room and now that is all I hear. And I try to explain to her, I'm more like Alexa. You know, it's like, you don't just go, hey, add to the shopping list this, this. you have to go, Alexa. Add this to the shot. And then she, hey, Google, add this. Siri, do this. And I'm like, that's all I need. I need a little prompt. Just say, Austin. And then I'll know that you're speaking to me because I've been blocking out my kids' screams for the last 15 minutes <laughs> so that I don't get overwhelmed and freak out. And so I, like, I went into my cocoon. I was like, you gotta bust me out of that cocoon if you want this butterfly to fly, you know? You gotta... <laughs> You gotta say Austin. And I'm, I always joke with her. I'm just like, just say my name before you start a sentence. Cause we'll be in the same room and she'll start talking. She'll be like, did you hear me? I'll be like, like, did I hear your voice? Or did I know you? No, I didn't even hear your voice. I heard nothing. She's like, you're not listening to me, which is true. I'm not listening to anything. But that's, that's what we're trying to do is it's like, you don't wanna just talk and feel like you're downloading everything. And then you're like, oh, I'm good because this is the next step. The, the honesty leads to intimacy, but listening helps us show humility. So when you're willing to listen to someone, you're willing to listen to God, you're going, I'm going to humble myself to now open myself up to hearing what you have to say about what I just dumped. Okay, if you have a friend that's really good or a spouse that's really good or, or those people that will speak the truth to you, that will tell you what they really think, that will listen, actively and help you process things. That's the hardest part of any relationship is the listening. Because guess what? Listening means you're doing it to learn and to understand, not to reply, right? When you're listening to someone speak, you're not listening just so you can think of how to, 
how to respond, which is another problem I have. We're not going to get into that. But you're going, I'm going to listen to you so that I can learn and so that I can understand. And when you open yourself up to listen like that, that's very humbling because you're going, I'm going to listen to what you have to say in order for myself to be able to grow. And listening is the difference between being honest with God and just venting to him, right? Because if you vent, there's no opportunity. You're not taking a moment to listen. You just want to tell God how you feel and be like, all right, you deal with that. But when we come to him and we start, we go, okay, now I'm going to listen for what you have to say to me, for your response, for, for what your response is, all of a sudden you're showing a humility that you're willing to learn, you're willing to hear, you're willing to grow, you're willing maybe even to change. And the scary part is, is that when we're asking for God's honesty, we're asking for the truth. So when we ask God to speak to us, when we're listening and we're asking him to speak and respond and we're humbling ourselves to listen to him, we're going, you can tell me the truth. You can tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. You can, you can tell me not what lines up and be like, yeah, you're right. Oh my goodness, how could that happen? Yeah, you're right about everything. You're opening yourself up humbly to have the truth spoken to you. Because if you're honest, and then you want God to be honest and you wanna listen, you're opening yourself up to the truth. And we know that David was listening in Psalm 22 because I don't know if you noticed, I, I read verses one and two and then I skipped to seven and eight. But one and two is where he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Now this is how the next verse goes. Verse three, the first word he says so he goes, every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief yet. Because now there's a little bit of truth sneaking in in response to the honesty because he's open to listening to the Holy Spirit. Because this is all him writing all this down. He's journaling this prayer, right? He's going, God, you have not shown up the way you said you would. I've tried and you have not answered. And then he writes, Yet. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. That's a little bit of truth sneaking in. He's going, it feels like you've forsaken me. It feels like you've abandoned me. I'm calling out to you. You're not answering. Yet I know you're holy. Yet I know you've been faithful. Yet I know you've never let your people be disgraced when they trusted in you. And you're like, oh, he's better. No, because then he goes back into seven and eight. He goes, everyone mocks me. Everyone says that the Lord's with them. Why is it not better? Why won't he actually save him? And then he follows up. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Again, verse nine, yet. You brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Man, this is a real tension in our lives. This is a real tension in our prayers. When we're honest with God and then we listen and open ourselves up to hear from him and he speaks the truth to us, there is a tension between what we're feeling and the truth. Because David's going, it feels like you've abandoned me. He goes, yet you're holy and you've never abandoned your people. He goes, it feels like you're not gonna show up to help me, yet I know you've been my God since I was born. You brought me from my mother's womb, yet... I know the truth. Yet, 
I'm going to be open and be humbled to the truth. And this is where so much tension lies in our lives is this battle between feelings and truth. We, we don't always feel what's true. And I wanna, this is something, in 2015 I had my first what I would call depressive episode, went into a pretty deep depression and just praying to God going, how is this happening to me? I've been serving you, I work at a church, I've, I've given my whole life to serve you, how is this happening? And a comfort that he spoke to me was that reality and truth don't always agree. Our feelings and our experiences are real, but reality and truth don't always agree. And so what, what that helped me to understand and to process was the validation of what I was feeling and what I was going through. Because what God's doing is he's allowing David to feel what he's feeling. He's allowing him to experience what he's experiencing, this feeling of abandonment. And yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You have never disgraced your people. And that tension is so hard for us to live in because we want the way we feel and what we know is true to always line up and be perfect. And then we, we're always happy and we always know that God's gonna be good. And when we always feel like God's gonna be good and everything's, but that's not always the case. And it's okay that it's not the case when we're processing all of this in the presence of God, when we're being honest with him and it's leading to that intimacy and we're listening to him and he can speak the truth to us, we can live in that tension that just because it's real and our feelings are real doesn't mean it's the final truth. Just in our community in the last week, I know of four people who have chosen to end their own lives. That is a heavy place to be, a heavy feeling to feel, a heavy feeling to go, it's not worth me continuing. My grandfather took his own life in 2012. That feeling of going, I can't do this. My life doesn't matter. It'll be easier if I quit. That feels so real to them that they take this final step. And what God's saying is that truth is not true. That is not true. As real as it feels, it's not true. Your life does matter. You have a plan. You have a purpose. God created you to live a full life. And it's okay that you go through seasons and you go through times, but you have to press into him because he wants to speak the truth to you. And when we hear the truth, it can change our perspective. And our perspective can change the way that we respond to our circumstances. And this is the final little point. This is our response now. When our perspective changes, the way we respond to our situations changes too. When we're honest with God and we allow him to speak the truth to us, it can help us see a different side. When we see the truth of who God is, it can help us be okay with living in that tension because we know at the end of the day, he's gonna be faithful, he's gonna be good. Nothing changed in David's situation throughout Psalm 22, but here's how he speaks in, in verse 22 to 25. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. Verse 24, this is huge. This is the opposite of everything he said in the first beginning of this chapter. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. His situation didn't change at all. He was still frustrated, felt like God had left him, but he goes, 
but you've never failed. We sang that today, like your faithfulness, I know you'll do it, even if you haven't yet. I know you'll come through, I know you'll be faithful. And at the end of the day, if we invite him into our situation with honesty, he'll be with us in it. And here's a secret, prayer is always about people. We pray for situations, we pray for sicknesses, we pray for all these things to happen. We pray for situations and circumstances. But at the end of the day, prayer has been and always will be about the relationship that we have with God. And it's always about people. You may be praying for someone to not be sick. You may be praying for healing. You may be praying for restoration in a relationship. But at the end of the day, you're praying, God, would you draw close to them? God, would you be in their situation? God, would you be in my situation? I don't know what to do for my job. I don't know where I'm supposed to go to school. I don't know what I'm supposed to do about this decision. And we think it's about the decision. We think it's about the circumstance. But at the end of the day, it's about inviting God into the circumstance and letting him draw close to us, drawing close to him, allowing him to speak into our situation the truth that we need to hear so that we can operate in the tension of reality and truth and feelings and truth, these things that don't always line up. And God wants us to draw close to him. He, that's, that's what he's asking for with this honesty. That's what he's asking for when we listen, when we hear the truth. And it changes the way we can respond because it changes our perspective. When we fix our eyes on who God is, it can change the perspective of our situation because we can know that he'll come through. We can know that he'll be faithful. We can know that he's never failed us yet. He's seen us through everything so far. And so we can trust that he'll see us through again. So this is the weird part that I'm gonna ask you guys to help me with. Um, when you came in, you probably got a piece of paper for the notes. Maybe you've been grabbing them already. Um, but we pass out every week, we have these papers that you can take notes on the sermon with. If you don't have it yet, our ushers might be able to pass some out. You can make sure you get one. But I just need you to have something to write with and something to write on. Because for me, journaling has been helpful because when I have feelings, when I'm feeling frustrated or sad or hurt or angry, I can get stuck in this cycle of like, I'm just so mad, I'm just so angry. You know, I don't actually flesh out what I'm feeling. And what I've learned is when I write it down, it helps me put words to what I'm feeling. It helps me put words to what I'm going through. And now this may not work for you, that's okay. But if you're willing, I want you to try it today because it makes you be a little more honest when you put it down in writing. Because you can't just write, I'm just so frustrated, God. I'm so angry, God. God, I'm... You're not gonna write God four times every sentence. It helps kind of clear your mind a little bit. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through all these steps together. We're gonna be honest with God. We're gonna listen to God. We're gonna proclaim truth about God. And then we're gonna see where our response ends up. See if our perspective has an ability to change. So if you've got something to write with, the first thing that we talked about is that honesty leads to intimacy, right? So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Take two minutes, maybe even a little less. Think of something that's going on in your life, something that you've been praying about, something that you've been worried about, upset about, hurt about. Maybe you've lost someone recently in your family. Maybe there's turmoil in a relationship. Maybe there's a situation that you're like, God, I need you to come through with this. Whatever you're feeling that maybe you haven't been completely honest with God about, 
take the next minute, two minutes, and write down honestly to God how you feel. God, why have you forsaken me? I've called out to you and you haven't answered. Whatever it is. Because if you'll open yourself up and be honest with God, that's you going, I wanna be close to you. I wanna invite you in. So let's take one minute and do that and I'll come right back up. Just write out what it is that you wanna be honest with God about today. That's the truth of who he is. He provides, he remembers us in our weakness. He is good, he is the God of gods, he is the Lord of lords, he is the God of all. And mostly his faithful love endures forever. Now this isn't a magical process. This is my process, this is how I fight through these things in God's presence. And it's not, it's not this formula that now you've come out and ah, my perspective's changed, now I'm happy, now I feel great, now I know that God's gonna come through. Maybe you haven't had that happen. Maybe you haven't had that breakthrough. But what you have done, you've invited God in by being honest with him. You've humbled yourself before him saying, I'm gonna actually listen to you, I'm gonna be quiet, and I'm gonna let you speak. Then I'm gonna go to the truth of your word and I'm gonna see what's been true about you for the last 5,000 years that's been recorded day after day of your faithfulness, of your goodness that you've never failed, that you've always been the God of gods, you've always been the Lord of lords. And even when I don't feel it, I'm gonna allow you to speak that truth to my heart. I'm gonna allow you to draw close to me. And when you've asked God to meet you where you're at, he can truly begin to do a work in you. If you keep him at an arm's length and try to pretend like everything's fine and you don't tell him how you're really feeling, you wanna keep him back there, but he wants to come in close. He wants you to draw close to him. Jesus, we wrote these things down today just as a simple practice to remember, to, to, to actually flesh out what we're feeling, to go before you and say, hey, this is where I'm at but I want you to meet me here. I don't wanna be alone where I'm at. I don't wanna be without you where I'm at, so please come in, speak to me. I wanna listen to the truth of who you are. And God, I pray that we would take this practice. It's a little different. It's not a normal thing of prayer, but it helps us draw close to you because prayer is always about relationship. It's always about how can we draw close to you? How can other people draw close to you? Because you promise that when we draw close to you, you will draw close to us that when we humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, that you will come, you will heal our land, you will be amongst your people. And God, that's what we're asking for today. We're asking that you would show up in our situations and draw close to us. We don't know if the situation will change. We don't know if our feelings will change. We don't know if the circumstance will change, but we will know that you can be with us in it and you can be close to us in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this month, we've been having a special emphasis on beginning a relationship with God and taking the next step in your relationship with God. And maybe you're here today and this whole thing was like, bro, that's weird. Why are you talking about shaving your back and praying, God, praying to God? And maybe you're here in that moment, you are like, 
man, something feels different. I feel like God wants to speak to me. I feel like he wants to have a relationship with me. That's what prayer is all about is the relationship that we have with God. And we have that because of what we did during worship, that communion that we took. He sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice, to die on the cross for our sins, to take our punishment that we deserve, to make a way so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could come to him honestly and have that intimacy with him and then be with him forever in heaven. That's what Jesus came to do was to make a way. And maybe you've never made that decision to accept the grace and the gift of Jesus dying for us so that we can have a relationship with God. And maybe you have made that decision, but you need to recommit. You've fallen away and you want to be back in that relationship with God. You wanna make it right again. You want him to be the one leading your life, the one making a way. So we're just gonna have everyone close your eyes, kind of have a moment of privacy. And I wanna invite anybody in this room online, if you're here and you wanna make that decision to follow Jesus today, you wanna make that decision to recommit to follow Jesus today, I just want you to raise your hand. One, two, three, four, yep, five, six. Yeah. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer It's nothing specific. It's nothing you have to repeat. But it's a prayer that simply, God, I come to you. I know that I can't make myself right with you on my own. I know that you sent Jesus to make a way so that I could be close to you and have a relationship with you. Please forgive me of my sin. Become the Lord of my life. Become the one who guides me, directs me, leads me. And help me to live for you from this day forward through your Holy Spirit, through your word, through prayer. And may I be different from this day forward because of what you have done. I invite you into my life to change me and my life. I love you, Jesus, in your name, amen. Now, if you raised your hand, if you prayed that, if you recommitted your life to Jesus, gave it to him for the first time, we would love to help you take some next steps. One thing you can do is you can text the word ALIVE to 97000. And the next thing you can do all month long, we have a baptism tank in the lobby right now. We have everything you need. We have shirt, shorts, change of clothes, everything you might need. So if you made that decision today, what baptism is, is it's you going public with that decision. It's you wanting to stand up in front of people and say, I've made a decision to follow Jesus. I've given my life to him. And I want to live for him and I want other people to know about it. So if you made that decision today, be ready to take that next step. If you've already signed up for baptisms or if you want to do that today and you haven't made that decision, I want to go ahead and dismiss you and all of those who are volunteering with baptism to go ahead and head back now. If you want to make that decision today, if you're going to be working with the baptism tank or if you're making a decision that you say, I want to make that, take that next step today, I want to dismiss you to go back there and we'll be in the lobby with you to celebrate.